0: way to twugs bagpipe and history podcast where i your host jeremy explores the possible repertoire of 18th or the 19th century bagpipers come and let's enjoy some tunes That sound means it's the Halloween episode. Um, yeah, so it's also the second episode in a month. It's the first time since moving to North Dakota, having a baby. Feeling pretty good. Um, might mean I don't do an episode next month, but uh, I might. Should be able to. Anyway, that uh, raid sound is pretty distracting, so let's just uh, let's crank it down a little bit. Okay, so yeah, this is our Halloween episode. It's going to be um, a lot of songs, actually. i uh, going to do some readings. going to have a reading from Austin's poems, and then a song to kind of go with that. going to have some border ballads with ghosts and murder, and some other border ballads about kind of romance and weddings and that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, and a, and a guest tune from... From James Moyer, they were over on the Droning On podcast. Uh, James has been doing like a promotional thing for Bagpipe Swag of one of his more Halloween-themed logos. So uh, I asked James if he had a Halloween tune or a spooky tune he would send our way, and he sang, he pipe sang a song for me, and then played one on his uh, kind of growing Frankenstein monsters chanter. So we'll start with the pipe song. This is him singing. Um, she moved through the fair on small pipes and I'm, I'm coming back and listening to this. So I, I was kind of listening to it in the background while recording stuff. And, you know, a couple of years ago I recorded a, a P brook song and I was like saying, Hey everybody, you should sing along with this. Um, she'd sing along with James. It's really awesome. Uh, I kind of quit fight. I, I quit fighting it and I just started singing along. Cause you know, She Moves Through the Fair is a tune that a lot of us know, and you'll also recognize the chorus pretty quickly, but treat yourself, indulge, (laughs) like, take an ear out of your earbud and sing along with James. Anyway, here is uh, She Moves Through the Fair. thank you james for that lovely song um so you know i wanted to i was trying to think of like what are what are some good spooky bagpipe things to do and uh you know james has been running bagpipe swag which is where i sell my merch so if you want to get some way too twogs bagpipe and history podcast merch that's where you can go most of them are pretty uh absurd uh I think the, the weirdest one is it's just a list of names of composers that I use a lot, or compilers that I use a lot, and if you look really closely, each name has one letter that's of a slightly different font that's nearly impossible to notice, and it spells way too twack. It's real niche, folks. Um, but I've got some other stuff on there that's a little bit more accessible, like Be Cool, Play Bagpipes, or I'd... Uh, that song's pretty good, but it'd be better with more jaw harp, or I'd rather be playing p I think. Um, but James has a lot of really cool shirts. Um, and basically, at this point, the only clothing I wear, or the only shirts I wear that aren't, like, work shirts are uh, Bagpipe Swag t-shirts. So um, this is to say that I want Bagpipe Swag to stick around. And he's been doing kind of an October promotional thing. He's got a, a red skeleton Halloween logo shirt uh memento mori meanwhile make music and he's doing like a special run of those and uh, some coffee mugs and things and he's got a lower price for them. and um and yeah there's going to be a giveaway so if you order the shirt post a picture of yourself wearing it and tag him in it he's going to put you in a raffle to maybe win 45 dollars worth of uh, gift certificate and anyway like y'all on the podcast have been pretty great about getting some Bagpipe Swag stuff, but if you're ever thinking about it, uh, head on over to bagpipeswag.com. I've got some links to the promotion so you can figure it out. But uh, yeah, there's just some, there's some really clever shirts in there. Um, I sort of, we went on like a new faculty retreat and I was wearing one of my favorite shirts from Bagpipe Swag, which is the um, uh, Don Quixote de la Mancha, like going after windmills, that, that image, except if you look closely, Don Quixote is playing bagpipes and uh ponza or whatever the his accompaniment guy is is playing tender drums and uh it was cool one of my uh new kind of colleagues is from i don't know if he's from Catalonia, but he's from from spain anyway um but he was like what's what's, what's your <laughs> he was very intrigued by the shirt and uh then i had to point out like no it's like a bagpipe thing and anyway it's uh there's some cool designs over there. Check out bagpipeswag.com. There'll be a link in the show notes. The other reason that I wanted James on the podcast this week uh, is that he is taking playing an extended range uh, Highland Bagpipe Shanner, like, super far. And... Uh, And I realized that, like, that's sort of like doing Frankenstein stuff. He's definitely doing some mad scientists. He's essentially turned a Highland pipe chanter into a Gaida. So he has something that kind of resembles a flea hole. Maybe it isn't a flea hole, technically. Um, but he's wildly repositioned the back A hole on his chanter, uh, added some extra little optional holes for for getting the C and F natural. Because like James is playing pipes in the deserts of Utah and uh, with the elevation up there, it's pretty hard to get just a high G, let alone an F natural or C natural. And he's figured out how to get all that stuff. And he's also um, been able to get pretty consistently his highland pipe channel all the way up to high d um so he sent uh, another air uh this is in my wake is it what is it uh yeah at my wake this is a tune he kind of first heard on ellen pipes and really liked and now he's able to play it on his highland pipes because of that extended range um i do hope at some point to have like a full episode where we talk about this i've got a cool second octave clip from uh the person that's going by Jenna Bagpipes on social media. Um she's also doing high B stuff. So I keep on meaning like it is a thing I'm hoping to do to do another uh second octave chanter, but you know, I haven't played my highland pipes since we moved. Y'all, did I mention this already? We moved here to Grand Forks. The second day we were here, I walked out on a bank behind my house. There's a big like flood control dike uh, right behind our backyard, and I walked over on the other side of the dike and I played highland pipes. And that's the last... I think that's the last time I've played... Eh, I've maybe played once or twice since then, but haven't played much. But anyway, I played Highland Pipes outside, and then, like, literally the first of the month, the next month, our neighbors moved, like, put up a sign for sale and moved out. Like, I don't know. Coincidence? I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, uh, let's do... Uh, speaking of Highland Piping, here is James Moyer again playing At My Wake on Highland Pipes, and you can hear a little bit of his extended range magic. stuff thank you james that extended range channer is just got so much potential <laughs> um some of the other uh I, i've posted a link to his instagram already you should go check it out for seeing all of the extended range stuff he's doing uh okay so we're going to switch to me playing but first it seems only fair since i have essentially uh, just done an ad for bagpipe swag um And I've said, hey, you should spend your money. I'll offer to give you money. So I am in the market for a used set of mouth-blown small pipes. I'm really looking for and assuming that everybody has, or many people have, a spare set of Walsh shuttle pipes that they might be willing to part with. Um, I'm waiting on a really nice set of small pipes that are bellows-blown that I'm super excited about. But regardless of those coming, I kind of want a set of rough and ready... Shuttle pipes that I can play around my kid. So my baby doesn't care for illin pipes or you know any of the louder pipes are too loud for him yet. Um, he really likes my D small pipes, but the D small pipes use a bellows and parts fall off of it. And it's just not really an ideal instrument for being able to play for him as long as he's interested. And then when he kind of loses his mind of like, okay, this has been enough, um, having to take off a of bellows and all that, it's just a bit of a chore. So if you have a set of Walsh shuttle pipes taking up dust in your closet um, I would be very much interested in uh, leaving you of, of those, uh, or, or buying them from you. So I already put a, an ad on Bob Dunsire. I've done this before and got like three or four offers within a week. So, um, I guess strike while well, the iron's hot. Um, but you know, do let me know if you hear this later. Um, let me know if you still have a, if you have a set you want to part. Cause I, I kind of, I wound up last time I did this for my brother-in-law, I got a set of small pipes out of somebody's, um, closet i was able to like line a couple people up with other small pipes that they they wanted or other people wanted to buy them once i had bought the one that i wanted anyway if you've got a set of shuttle pipes in your closet and you want to get rid of it i already posted on bob dunsire i'm willing to spend 250 bucks um or negotiable whatever um but yeah let me know uh all right so to set the like halloween mood for me anyway uh, i'm going to play a couple tunes from one of my favorite new collections of music. This is from a 1791 collection by uh, John Watlin. This is a book called The Celebrated Circus Tunes Performed at Edinburgh This Season, with the additions of some new reels and stress bass with for piano, forte, or violin, uh, and bass. There are so many good tunes in here, and a lot of them have to do with stage performances, it seems like, and uh, they're just stellar. Uh, anyway, I'm going to play one. You know, the first Halloween episode I did... Uh, I spent a lot of time talking about fairy stories, and uh, there was a a, a tune in this book uh, from a pantomime or an opera called The Fairy's Triumph, and I'm desperate to find more tunes from um, The Fairy's Triumph, because this one is really great, so we're going to play that one. So this is The Milliner's House, which is, like I say, in The Pantomime, The Fairy's Triumph, and then we'll go into The Siege of Belgrade, which is performed by the Little Devil, is the... Uh, comment on it but some really cool funky sounding tunes and i'm gonna play my low f whistle and high f whistle and some g drones Some great stuff. We're gonna hear more from Watlin in the future. I assure you. Uh, all right. Next, we're gonna kind of lose our connection to Halloween again. Um, so you've probably seen by now, but Barry Shears has a new book out. Uh, it's called Legacy: A Collection of Photographs and Music, and it's you know it's predictably awesome. Um, Barry sent me a copy, and I said I probably wouldn't be able to get to it for a couple months because I'm I'm kind of between not I don't have a set of Highland pipes that I'm really able to play right now like i said and i don't have a comfortable set of small pipes and it feels weird to play this music on border pipes but that's what i did anyway uh because i couldn't help myself these tunes are so good like i don't really ever want to play marches until i don't know like looking at Barry stuff i want to play marches i really want to get my highland pipes going and play these marches so uh, anyway we're going to do this one first this is sort of kind of a little bit spooky-ish this is the mermaid and the sea monster um this is a march, a six-eight march that Barry wrote for uh, John Daly's bagpipes. Um, my buddy John Daly, who got a set of um, kind of Murray Huggins, those Colin kill pipes, but they had a mermaid and a sea monster engraving on them. So that's what the tune is named for, and it is it is a stellar six-eight march. Um, I don't, I'm sure I don't quite do it justice, um, but these are kind of my, I think tenth, maybe my tenth time playing the tune. Um, But it's, yeah, super good. Mermaid and the Sea Monster. We'll do it on A-Pipes. Sea monsters are Halloween, right? People go as mermaids for costumes. So this is all very Halloween. Anyway, Mermaid and the Sea Monster. This one doesn't really have a I can't even pretend like this is a Halloween themed, but I love it too much. This is the Grant Rant, or the I can't get a Grant Rant, <laughs> rather. Um yeah, so Grant Rant is on my first album, I think. Uh but yeah, this tune is obviously as as Barry describes, this is him not being able to get a federal grant and being kinda angry about it. So here's uh I can't get a grant rant. still going to play some berry tunes, but I think I've managed to get them sort of spooky Halloween-y, um, mostly by adjusting the tuning a bit. I was playing on the A chanter mostly, and then I decided just to experiment and throw the G chanter on there and see if I could get the tunes a little better, and I did some changes to the tuning, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think this worked out pretty well. So this is a set, uh, two tunes written by Barry. One is John G. Daly. So, uh, same John Daly that the Sea Monster and Mermaid tune is named after. And then the next one is Mrs. Evelyn Shears. So Barry wrote both of these tunes, one for John and one for his mother. And yeah, adjusted the tuning a bit. I actually transposed the John Daly tune. Um, I'm trying to get better at reading the notes, um, like playing my G chanter, actually, as the notes would be written, which is going to kind of unlock the Ian Gelston book for me. Um, So I'm still still in the early stages of this. So it's a little bit tricky, but uh, I think it holds together pretty well as a set, actually. So here's John Daly and Miss Evelyn Shears. So last year, the Halloween episode turned into a Gold Ring episode, and the spookiness was uh, tentative at best, so um, I wound up putting together an additional Halloween episode for the bonus feed on Patreon, and my plan for this year's Halloween episode, honestly, was just to kind of re-release that. Um, but I needed, I wound up recording a bunch of new stuff and I can't find the audacity file, um, where I recorded that episode. So, uh, which was a bummer because I was hoping to include some Ossian's poems, uh, in this recording too, but I don't have time to record new ones. So it's not going to be, uh, just re-releasing of the bonus bonus episode. So if you join the Patreon feed, you can go listen to it. Um, anyway, what I do want to include though, is, uh, Piper's warning to his master which is a Peebrook that uh, has been one of my favorites for a long time. And I recorded this live in Scotland in 2009, I think it was. It was my first time going to Scotland. And uh, I had a bunch of tunes in my pocket that I was planning to play and record. This is not one of them. Uh, we just were driving around the Crennan Canal, and I realized, like, oh, that's Duntrune Castle. Oh, that's where the dude got his hands cut off. And it was... Had been a favorite tune to play a couple of years prior, so I, you know, hopped out of the car and, and played it and recorded it. And like, my hands went numb uh, while I was playing the tune, which was wild. Uh, those of you who aren't familiar with this, this is a, a Pibroch called uh, Piper's Warning to His Master, or Colomaran. I've seen kind of the same story attributed to that one. Uh, I'm going to get some of the details in particulars wrong about this, I'm sure. But essentially, Dunshun Castle was a castle owned by the Campbells. And at some point, the McDonald's sacked it. And um, it was successful. The McDonald's took over the castle uh, so much that the McDonald chief was like, well, I'm going back to Jura. I'm going to grab some stuff and we're moving in. Uh, You guys hang down the fort or the castle, as it were. And so the McDonald chief sailed back to Jura to start loading up his gear. And in the meanwhile, the Campbells returned from a hunting trip and retook the castle. Uh, And retaking the castle, they basically killed all the defenders except for the Piper that had been left behind. Um, You know, they kept the Piper alive so that he could entertain them and just because, you know, why do you kill a Piper? And as the MacDonald chief was returning from Jura, the Piper saw him coming and said, hey, you know, if I don't go up and play a tune for him, he's going to know that something's up and he's not going to come in here and you're not going to be able to kill the chief i know that's what you want to do so just let me go up on the ramparts and i'll play a tune to let him know that everything's fine and uh they said oh yeah great go up there and do it and he starts he went up there and he played this tune and (laughs) various. it's so anyway he plays this tune piper's warning to his master and the mcdonald chief realizes that something is amiss and turns around and goes back to Jura and isn't killed by the Campbells. And when the Campbells realize what has just happened, they cut the hands off of the piper and he bled out and died. Um, Like all good folklore stories, there is some mixture of oral tradition corroborated with supposed archaeological evidence, I suppose, um, at least according to Wikipedia anyway. Um, but yeah, there's kind of a legend uh that when they were doing renovations on the castle pretty recently they found the piper like they found the body um and they could tell because it was the hands were cut off and they hadn't been healed you know like it wasn't a wound that the person survived having both of the hands cut off which is in keeping with the the pbrok story Uh, i've always sort of liked playing the pbrok because i feel like you kind of have license to make mistakes on it. Like that's the whole point of the tune is you're playing a tune. And in some versions of the story, the Piper played it and the chief really was a, f- a fan of Pibroch and a, f- a fan of this Pibroch And so he played it wrong a little bit. And that was the indicator to the chief that it was a mistake. And for me, somebody that doesn't compete and just plays the stuff to find the music in it and enjoy it. Um, it was always an attractive feedback to play because it was like, no, if I'm making a mistake that is in keeping with the spirit of the thing. Um, anyway, so this was in April. I stepped out of the car and I started playing this tune from memory. And like I said, my, my hands went seriously numb and, uh, it was cold out. It was windy. And it's very likely that it was just that. Um, but then at the time, my brain definitely thought like, Oh, I'm being haunted right now. This is, pretty intense. So uh anyway, this is very much a kinda in the field recording uh from the side of Dunshoon Castle, uh with me playing Piper's Warning to his master. quite a beautiful tune and um yeah one of the better p Burke stories too uh if you want to hear more of it i'll have a link in the show notes to um one of the pipe drums pipe drums magazine um, issue about the tune and also uh, one of the reasons i wound up putting it on the um, bonus episode was last year brian may had posted a link to like a Scottish documentary-slash-haunting-castle TV show, and uh, he had he had not heard the story, and then, yeah, I, anyway, so Brian May kind of is what made it go on the podcast in the first place, so I'll include a link to the documentary that he linked to if you want to see a ghost story about this, uh, this tune. Uh, Alright, so, speaking of ghosts, one of the things I was hoping to include from that bonus episode was kind of a long reading from... Ossian's poems. Um, around this time last year, a good friend Isaac Walters sent me a like original copy two volume set of Ossian's poems and did a reading from one of the stories that uh, referenced ghosts. Although like much of Ossian's poems kind of reference ghosts, and um, anyway, I can't find it. <laughs> I managed to lose the audacity file or whatever of the audiobook of me reading Ossian's poems and there was issues with it but i don't really have time to reread it so i guess we're not getting osian uh stories this episode but i did find a song to go with it pretty well um and that is called Ossian's ghost uh, this is from a collection that i i think is new to me um I like the look of it. It's called the Caledonian Musical Repository. It has it very much has um, Scott's Musical Museum vibes. Um, printed in 1806 by Oliver and Company. Um, but yeah, it's a song Oscar's Ghost uh, and it clearly ties into uh, the Ossian's poems like Ossian shows up in it, Fingal's line is discussed, uh Carabar and Morven. Um, anyway, so we're not going to have an audiobook reading of I'm not going to have an audiobook reading of Ossian's poems, but hey, why not Oscar's Ghost anyway? Uh, If I find that, I I might do it, Um, might still read it, because it's a a cool thing, having a copy of Ossian's poems around, and I'd like to have an excuse to talk back into it. So, Anyway, here is Oscar's Ghost, sung by me with some accompaniment. Come to cheer my dreams. On wings of wind, he flies away. Oh, stay, my lovely Oscar, stay. Wake us in last of fingle's line and mix thy tears and sighs with mine Awake the harp to doleful lays and soothe my soul with Oscar's praise. The shell has ceased in Oscars Hall since gloomy cardboard. No Austin. I still want to do a reading. Um, I wrote a chapter on uh Isabel Gunn or John Fubister in my dissertation, and so I wound up picking up a book on Orkney folklore and sea legends. So it's kind of hard to get um in the States, uh written by kind of important folklorist from Orkney, uh Walter Trail Denison, and you know, and just looking through, there's some interesting stuff in here about um, sulkies and fin folk mostly is what I bought it for, but it does have some interesting burial customs that were, um, well, they do a couple things. They're interesting, funny stories, and also uh, they kind of set up the context for the ballad Young Benji that I'm going to sing. So uh, first, I'm just going to do a quick reading from uh, Orkney Folklore and Sea Legends. This is from Walter Trail Dennison. He com- he collected all this stuff, I think, in the early 20th century. Um, yeah, I mean, this one was published in 1995, but, like, it's a much older... He was he was collecting much earlier. Uh, anyway, here is the... Yeah, I think 1904. There's some 1904 stuff, like, in the blurb. So, anyway, here is a reading from uh, the burial custom portion of um, this book of Orkney Folklore and Sea Legends. A plate or saucer, filled with salt, was placed on the breast of the dead. The origin of this custom I have not been able to discover. The old people who practiced it said they only did it because it was wont to be done. While the corpse remained in the house, it was considered neither lucky nor proper to allow the lamp to go out in the apartment between sunset and sunrise. Among the better class, two candles were kept burning, night and day, beside the beer. During the night's intervening between death and burial, a number of the neighbors held what uh, was called the Leakwake. That was sitting up with and watching the corpse through the night. During those vigils, the most ludicrous and unseemly scenes sometimes took place. To prevent evil from the spirit world, the inside of the door was an old times sand that is marked with the sign of the cross. As an additional safeguard, the watchers always provided themselves with a Bible or psalm book. In the days when Bibles were scarce and dear, the ministers were often borrowed for the occasion. The book of Esther was a general favorite at Leequake's. These leak wakes were highly appreciated in the day the glamour of superstitious fear induced by the proximity of the dead seemed to have added zest to the jokes often practical the telling of stories and drinking of ale as night wore on and some of the party were overpowered by sleep and ale a favorite trick was practiced on one of the sleepers by pinning a corner of the sheet lying over the corpse to the dress of the sleeper by a sudden noise the sleeper would then startled from his slumbers when springing to his feet he generally brought the salt plate to a clatter to the floor and finding himself held by something apparently coming from the corpse he would roar in mortal terror during his agony of fear his struggles to disengage himself would sometimes bring the dead body to the floor such unseemly pranks were not always harmless as the story is told of a young woman on whom this trick was played and who lost her reason by the fright According to old superstitious etiquette, it was considered improper to call the coffin by its name until the remains were placed in it. Previous to this, the coffin was called the Kist. Placing the body in the coffin was called the Kisten. The ale drunk by those engaged in this operation when their work was done was called the Kistencog. cog. Whenever a death took place in a household or the family were in easy circumstances, ale was immediately brewed for the funeral feast when the season was admitted of doing so. And any stinted measure of ale to the common and wine and gin to the better class of guests was regarded not only as a disgrace to the living, but as disrespectful to the memory of the dead. The relatives of the deceased felt that by giving abundance of strong drink at the funeral, they were laying the dead decently in the grave. Invitations to the funerals were sent by verbal message. The earliest written invitation I have seen is dated 1700. It was regarded as a point of respect to keep the remains as long as possible above ground. At the funeral of a well-to-do person, the guests assembled in large numbers and were accommodated in different apartments, the barn being the largest, generally contained the greatest number of people. The ale was carried out in large tubs called sais and was served ad libitum. the drinking being preceded by a prayer from the minister. Before the company rose, a number of the more respectable guests were invited to look at the remains before the coffin was nailed down. In olden times, the law-right men were always present at this ceremony. This custom served the purpose of a post-mortem inquest, and was deemed necessary to prove that the deceased had not died by foul play. The coffin was, and still is, carried by seven persons, three at each side, and one at the head. I have met with no evidence to show that the coffin was ever carried shoulder-high in the Orkney. Preceding the coffin a few yards, the Kirk officer, or beadle walked, ringing a handbell, all the way from the house to the churchyard. Of old, the bell ringing was used as a safeguard against evil spirits, to whose attacks the corporeal remains of the man were thought to be exposed, while being removed from under a Christian roof to a Christian burial. Districts at any distance from the church had a fixed station at which the funeral party rested and drank a cog of ale or gin, which had been previously placed by the resting place for the use of the company. The resting place was called Wiel de Cruz, literally, The Rest of the Corpse. During the first half of the eighteenth century, a funeral party carried to the grave the remains of a gentleman, whose house was upwards of six miles from the churchyard. The gentleman had been notorious for immorality when in life, and now that he was dead, being tall and stout, gave the bearers no small fatigue in their long tramp. Gladly at length the weary party reached the Wheel de Cris, and setting down their heavy burden, they sat down and quaffed the exhilarating liquor provided for them by the big house. Now, it was the officers bound in duty to ring while the party sat, as well as when they moved on, so while the official refreshed himself with the liquor, Simon Moody took a spiel of the bell. Simon had indulged too freely in the generous liquor and was exceedingly top-heavy. He could lie or sit, or he could even manage to walk, but to stand steady in a gale of wind was beyond the power of this heavily drugged brain." So after a few shakes of the bell, Simon's head descended to the level of his toes, and the bell rolled out of his hand. The officer rose to and looked for the sacred instrument, and others joined him in the search, but the bell could be seen nowhere, and the conclusion was arrived that it had rolled into a rabbit hole. At this critical moment, the wind, which had been blowing a gale, rose to a hurricane, and a terrific whirlwind swept over the funeral party. Those who happened to be standing were flung to the ground. The good man of Navan made a narrow escape. His big coat, being buttoned below his knees, the whirlwind getting under, filled it and carried him up in the air. My narrator said, You see, he is a great professor, better body kent him to be a sanctimonious hypocrite, and though Satan was sure enough of a soul, he went in this body as well. And he would ha gotten it tig, and there have been na no, twa or three leaves of carriages in the good man's inner coat pooch and that brought them to the grain of their veil. Carriages was the old name for the catechism, and was a potent charm against evil. When the whirlwind had passed, the company managed to gather themselves together and to think of resuming the melancholy task. To their surprise, the bell was found lying on the grass before their eyes, though no one could see it before. Still greater was the amazement of the funeral party, when on raising the coughing, which before had been enormously heavy, they found it so light that it seemed wholly emptied of its weighty contents. The explanation was easy. The master whom the deceased had served raised the fearful tempest and carried away the body of his servant in the whirlwind before it could be secured in sacred ground. Of course, only a skeptic would dream that the liquor drunk by the party was answerable for this infernal miracle. I just feel like I need some sort of... And now we're back in the present. Uh, Anyway, yeah, I really, really like um, several aspects of those stories. So, um, the like or Lakewake, Leak Leakwake. I might have to do, uh, another version of young Benji with some, I mean, I know I've got some pronunciation wrong. I'm thinking of putting it on the album, but, uh, it would need to do another take on it. But anyway, what I wanted to play first was, uh, that whole story about, um, the guy getting lifted up in the air. Cause they lost the bell for a second. And the devil could come in and, and take his, his servant. Um, I was trying to, like, come up with... I, I wanted to play more berry tunes. And so I was trying to make a set of, of berry tunes that kind of related to that. And I I kind of did. Um, we're playing uh, a tune from Play It Like You Sing It. And that tune, uh, that tune is um, Put Me in the Big Coffin. Or uh, The kissed. So Kirsa Kiste Kist" More Me. Or Put Me in the Big Chest. And then finishing up with Ail is Deer, which is in... Uh, Ailis Deer is is in the new book Legacy. Ailis Deer is a tune that I played in middle school a ton, and I hadn't been able to find the title for it. So thank you, <laughs> thank you Barry for including it. It's a wicked tune, and his version of it he added some a funky B part. So. Um, or a funky second second part versus what the original one is so anyway this is put me in a big chest and the ale is dear so you know putting them in the coffin or the chest is sort of what that is referencing and then the ale is dear is you know all the drinking that associates these things but i use that same funky g chanter drone tuning to make a pretty effective spooky halloween sound I, I feel like so anyway thanks again barry for these awesome tunes Apart from changing the the chanter around like that's really quite different i I, I changed the notes too so put me in the big chest is
1: um,
0: so I, I put it in you know and uh yeah again, I'm not sure if I saved the best version of that uh, anyway, lovely stuff uh, the other thing most of the that reading that I liked is it gave some better context for this ballad, the the young Banji ballad, which is part of Albin's anthology, which we've played on the podcast before. Um lovely collection of tunes in there, uh from around or early, I think first decade of the eighteen hundreds. And uh Uh, yeah, basically it's written by this guy, Campbell, who taught Sir Walter Scott music, and so there's a couple Sir Walter Scott ballads in there too, but, uh, Young Benji is not a ballad attributed to Sir Walter Scott, it is in fact attributed to, um, yeah, just an original melody. So I don't know if this means that he wrote it or or not. No, must not have. Um, but it's a long ballad and uh, it's a murder ballad, but there is some ghostly things that occur. Um, but I had a bit too much fun. This is sort of where I, when I was working on Young Benji is when I figured out that I could do this low F whistle paired with the G chanter and drones um, effectively. So Anyway, here is young Benji uh, performed by me for some ghostly Halloween spooky stuff. Fair Scotland the fairest was Marjorie and young Benji was a true love and a dear true love was he and wow but they were lovers dear and loved full constantly But a mare when they fell out the setter was their plea and they had quadled on a day till Marjorie's heart grew away and she said she'd choose another love and let young Benji gay and he was stout and proud-hearted and thought it bitterly and he's gained by the one moonlight to meet his Marjorie Open my true love, oh, open, and let me in. Oh, I dare not open, young Benji, My three brothers are within. You lied, you lied, you, bonny birds. How loud I hear you lie! As I can buy the Loudon banks, they bade good into me. But fair ye, wow, well, my a false love that I have loved so long. It sets you choose another love And let yon banjee gang Then Marjorie turn around about That tear-blind in a I dare not dare not let you in But I'll come down to thee and so she smiled and said to him, "Oh, what hell have I done? I need to in his arms twice he through the land." The stream strung, the maid was stout, and laith, laith to be dying. But ere she won the loud and bang, her fair color was won. Then up is Spacker eldest brother I've seen a see. And out then Spaker, second brother It's our sister Marjorie Out then Spacker eldest brother Oh, how shall we can And out then Spacker youngest brother There's a honey mark on her chin Then they've taken up that comely corpse And laid it on the ground I was killed, our uh, a sister And how can he be found The night it is, her low like Wake the mourner, burial day And we mon watch at mark my night And hear what she will say Jar and candlelight and torches burnin' clear The streaked corpse till still midnight They waked but nothin' here about the middle of the night, the corpse began to crawl, and at the dead hour of the night, the corpse began to thraw. Oh, has done thee wrong, sister, of dead the deadly sin? while was saith stout, and feared no doubt, as ye o'er the lint? Young Benji was a first man I laid my love upon. He was a stout and broad hearted he threw me o'er the land. Shall we, young Benji's head-sister, shall we, young Benji, hang? Or shall we pick out his twa-green and punish him many gang? munna Benji's head brothers, munna Benjy hang But mun pick out his twa green And punish him any gang Tie a green cravat round his neck And lead him out and in And the best servant about your house To wait young Benji on and I out every seven years And you'll take him to the land For that's the panacea the Discard is deadly sin So I sort of combined two uh, types of songs that make me feel icky in that in that song. I really like young Benji. I like the harmonies. I like the melody. And, you know, if it's got to be a woman murder ballad, I like that she comes back as, you know, and is able to communicate. And in theory, you know, Benji is punished the way that she wants him to be uh, during her like wake or whatever, when she can communicate with her brothers. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Just violence against women is a real thing and it's always weird how to feel about these old ballads with it uh the other thing i don't like at the end is uh boys of bedlam um i kind of i've been playing around with like singing that to robin and changing the lyrics because i love the melody of it but it is the the madhouse ballads um i don't know Mental health is just a weird... It, I don't feel super great about songs that like portray violence against women or that kind of poke fun at people being institutionalized. Um, but it's a great melody. Um, and there's a certain aspect of this where I know I'm just like being a little too sensitive or... Whatever, But I feel like I need to balance it out anyway, is what I'm saying. So rather than finish the podcast on a note of a woman being murdered, uh, we're going to finish it with some other woman ghosts. But in this case, it is just the woman ghosting a guy that isn't taking the hint. So uh, this is easily uh, my favorite song to sing. This is The Mountain Streams with the Moorcock's Crow. And it sounds... I was so disappointed when I paid close attention to the lyrics the first time because I assumed that this was a song about fairies because of the way it sounded and just the vibe it gave me and then I listened closer and I was like oh no this is just a woman that's not giving a guy her phone number and he just keeps on being persistent and misinterpreting things is really what this what this ballad is or what the song is uh, I first heard it from Peter Bellamy on uh, on one of his albums and uh Jarrett Henderson sings a really lovely version of it as well on uh, courting is a pleasure but uh anyway for halloween we'll finish with another ghost but this one this is just a woman ghosting a dude that can't take a hint. Um, thanks, everybody, for checking out our episode here. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash twog. You can also buy some merch from me at bagpipeswag.com or get that cool Halloween um, deal that James has got going so that bagpipe swag lasts a long time and I can always get replacement bagpipe shirts when Robin just spits up all over all of them and destroys them with his drooling destruction mode um yeah anyway uh thanks for listening everybody two episodes in one month again this feels really good i don't know that it'll be a regular thing but i didn't want to miss up uh, another opportunity for a halloween episode so uh anyway cheers everybody thanks we'll see you later here is mountain streams with the morcock's crow happy sound with my dog and gun, through the blooming heather, to seek for pastimes, I took my way, and it's there that I did spy a charming fair one. Oh. Whose charms enticed me while to stay. And I said, my darling, you will find that I love you. And tell me your dwelling and your name also. Well, excuse my name And you'll find my dwelling near The mountain streams where the moorcocks grow And I said, my darling My former aching I would leave aside and I offer my heart and I pledge you my honor and if you prove constant I'll make you my bride but if my parents knew I loved a rover, a grave affliction I would undergo. So I must stop and return for another season near the mountain streams where the moorcocks crow. And so farewell, my darling, for another season. I hope we will meet in some woodland dale. It's there that we shall kiss and embrace each other. And I'll pay attention to your lovesick
1: tales
0: And then we'll be joined arm in arm together And I'll escort you to your family's home Where the lark sings its notes so sweetly near the mountain streams where the moorkhawks crow. Construction sounds, baby sounds, you get it all. It's Halloween time, baby. It's Halloween time.